are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is The Dark Verse, short stories of occult, metaphysical, and fantastical horror that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. I am honored to say that this episode has been sponsored by Metaltopia, a new world of horror fiction, a podcast that features horror dark fiction stories and series that take place in the same strange universe, and Metaltopia is spelled M-A-E-L. T-O-P-I-A. Listen to the Shepherd of Wolves series where a notorious serial killer is lured into a dark and mysterious game. Discover the Lost Library series which explores the many strange events and people of Maletopia through first-person accounts. Or tune into the Weird Books show which examines the bizarre structures and histories of Maletopia through an in-story podcast of its own. All series and stories intersect and influence each other, providing horror lovers an immersive experience sure to reach the top of their playlists. I personally have checked out this podcast, and I was happily surprised to find out that their style is very similar to my own. Uh, The descriptions, the way of writing... Uh, there's a team of people working on this podcast, but the flavor of it is very similar to the dark verse. So if you enjoy what I do, I strongly encourage you to check out Mailtopia. Again, that's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. Uh, their website is Mailtopia.com. You can check there for all the latest episodes and news and updates. You can, of course, find them on your favorite podcast platform and you can follow them on Facebook. So yeah, pretty cool stuff right there. Let's get into a dark verse story time. This episode is actually a companion piece to a previous story I did recently called The Essence of All Sight. So if you want to listen to that one again uh, before or after this one, uh, you can see that they somewhat complement each other. They're not connected directly, but I've actually put these two pieces in the same universe. So, uh, just an interesting fact here before you get into this story. This is episode 116 of The Dark Verse, and it is entitled, The Coin Slave. A giant of metal and muscle, amongst an outpouring of cheers and applause, ascended the heights of Ashlabedia's Grand Coliseum. He stood in a glass elevator full of euphoric glory and pride for all to see. His left hand was a block of spiked bronze, and his head and face were fully sheathed in thick, knotted black hair as if the covering were a helmet. His mountainous, silver-armored figure refracted different colored lights that shot up through the flooring to embellish the moment. 
The elevator halted hundreds of feet up at a wide, half-circle, open platform on the peak of the tower at the southern side of the Colosseum. For a last fanfare, the giant stepped to the lip of the platform, towards his inspirited onlookers, and lifted his arms in triumph. The crowd's excitement crescendoed. This hulking brute was a ruthless warrior, the champion of the Tournament of Immortality. A contest of seventy-four souls and a battle of exalted death, the Tournament of Immortality brought together outcasts of men and women, failed sorcerers, vicious criminals, ferocious monsters, and otherworldly beasts into a single arena of bloody competition. The terrain of the stage was changed in theme to keep the allure at its pinnacle, but the sole rule always remained the same. Kill until there was no one else to kill, and win. Win the favor of the Empire and a life of immortality. When the reception finally waned, the giant moved into the issuer, a wide cylindrical steel housing. It was the sole construction at the tower's zenith. Large enough to contain gargantuan entities, the giant easily fit within. Once inside, a long wire extending from the container was lit by an automated mechanism remotely controlled. As the spark crawled along the line toward the encasement and the giant, the populace of the Empire lifted their voices again in praise. Boom! The giant was blasted into the sky over the thousands of spectators gathered in the Colosseum, not as his undefeatable, powerful self, but as a barrage of small, charred chips of flesh and armor. The pieces of this ultimate warrior rained down upon outstretched arms and leaping hands that feverishly collected as many tokens of the victor as possible, tokens that were now valuable currency in the official circulation, spendable without exception throughout the whole of the empire. Deep beneath the Colosseum, in a labyrinth of metal corridors and chambers, I walked in contemplation. The ceiling rattled with the vigorous activity from the Tournament of Immortality above, and the lights guiding my path flickered during those moments of greater intensity. A large ring of forty-seven keys was affixed to my belt that jingled on my hip with each left step, and my fingers ran through and fiddled with them. In my pensiveness, the peripheral effects and orchestrated bustling fell away as pervious inconsequentialities. As I trod, I passed a multitude of different steel doors, all of which were the companions to the keys hanging at my hip. The doors were alike except for one feature. Each one had a different lock body, designed in a way that allowed the key of its matching to be starkly discernible against the lineup of its kin. By shape, size, or a combination of both, no two lock bodies were the same, and in that vein, the heads and teeth of the keys matched with the lock of their appointments in style and theme. Where a lock body was fashioned with a thorned ornamentation, so its key possessed a thorny head and thorn teeth. Where a lock body was wavy, so its key's head and teeth were wave-shaped. Within the chambers barred by these doors were housed currencies. Each chamber contained one and only one. 
Most of the currencies were the remnants of past Tournament of Immortality champions and trifle tomb coins, but the remainder were living currencies, temple coins. There were two forms of currency in Ashlabedia, tomb coins and temple coins. Tomb coins were the remains of infamous and renowned individuals converted into distributable mechanisms of wealth, ranging in circulation from thousands of coins to a single coin. They were stores of value. Temple coins were currencies extracted and distributed from living entities, who by vitality gave greater liquidity and a better means of payment. They fulfill the majority of day-to-day -day transactions. If the host of temple coins were to perish, a certain percentage of its existing circulation would be burned, eradicated, while the rest would be converted into tomb coins. There were 47 different currencies within the doors bound by the keys on my hip, but there were 48 total currencies in the labyrinth vault. The vault was not protection for the 47, it was protection for the 48th. The many doors and their antiquated coin contents were nothing but decoys. A typical temple coin host would have two to three mages work consistently upon its limbs, amputating them and then regrowing them, printing newly minted coins daily. The temple coin hosts of these underground chambers had new coins issued perhaps once every full moon, mainly for charity and trivial supplements for the poor. Their conditions were deplorable, and while they suffered, they could not die. There was magic in place for temple coin hosts that prevented their deaths, a spell called Reset. If they were slain or chose to commit suicide, they would be forced back to life at the moment just before their deaths took place. Unlike the glory of tomb coins, being the host of temple coins was not an honor. It was slavery. They were kept alive for hundreds of years, for their deaths would tip the balance of wealth. Their terminations were controlled events of political power. After a completed navigation of the labyrinth vault, I stood before the door I sought, a door apart from the other forty-seven. This door did not open by the will of a key on the ring at my hip, but by a key that was protected elsewhere. I pulled out my white silk shirt, which had been stained heavily in blood and was neatly and tightly tucked into my trousers, and pushed it up into the side to reveal flesh. I pinned the end of my shirt between my chin and chest to free my hands. I then procured a blade from a hilt that was tethered to my belt opposite the keys. With its curved, sharp end, I cut a long, deep gash down my side. Quickly, as blood poured, I used my other hand to reach inside and pull out a key fragment. I performed the same surgery just below my right armpit, pilfering another key fragment from beneath my flesh. One key having a male end and the other having a female end, the two pieces fit together like a puzzle, completing this door's secret tool of opening. Using this key, I opened the door. Orange light from electric, ornamented ceiling fixtures glowed upon walls of pattern and heavily faded wallpaper. The alternating images of vined plants forming runic symbols were barely visible. The lights would have been brighter, but swarms of insects flew around and sat upon them. The stench in the room was hellishly foul, but I was accustomed to it. In the middle of the room was a dark, wooden altar. 
from a rectangular platform atop a volute base extended two bat-like wings, and where a digit should have been at the uppermost regions of these wings were trumpeting imps. I walked up to the altar while removing my shirt and threw it to the ground behind me, where once I had gushing wounds, I now had healed skin caked in crimson. Once more, I unsheathed my knife. From the center of my gut up to my sternum, I made an incision. With blood draining abundantly from the opening, I set the knife down on the altar and, using both hands, reached inside and pulled from within me a small anthropoid, an imp. Its bald head was disproportionately larger compared to the rest of its body, and its legs were twice as long as its torso. It was comatose and shriveled, and I set it down upon the altar. Revula, I said. The creature's chest began to weakly rise and fall, while its compressed skin began to fill out, and as time went by, the rate of its movements increased. Eventually, it was heaving at such a discomforting pace that it was awoken from its enchanted sleep. The imp leapt to its feet in shock and pain, and started gagging in unison with its desperate breaths. It unlatched its eyes to reveal yellow pupils pitted in black. The feeble creature moaned in agony, and, without delay, I snapped its neck. Then, like a treasure chest, I opened the imp with my knife to retrieve the prize within. I pulled from its stomach a black Coriath tomb coin, the currency of the first victor of the Tournament of Immortality. I placed the coin on the altar, ripped off one of the imp's pointed ears, and threw it, the demised imp, not the ear, to the back of the room where it landed atop a pile of its kind's carcasses, hundreds of the things, in varying degrees of decomposition. Filled with satisfaction, I picked up the coin from the altar and pocketed it in my trousers. Then I took the severed ear and held it in front of me. Divertel, I said. With the knife, I reopened the now-closed wound on my chest and inserted the ear from where I had removed the beam. Grabbing my shirt as I went, I walked back outside of the chamber, locked the door, and performed the same procedures to return the key fragments to their places of hiding in my body. Not a few moments later were my wounds again healed, at which time I put my shirt back on and tucked it neatly into my trousers. I journeyed a new path through the labyrinth vault and arrived at a door with a locked body designed in the theme of eyes. I found the key upon the ring that matched, a key I had used more than any other, opened the door, and went inside. I closed and locked the door behind me, lay down on my bed, bloody clothes and all, and plummeted into sleep. The chambers of the labyrinth vault were my home. I was its architect and also one of its residents. I was a temple coin host and a mage, and I was also the wealthiest being in Ashlabedia. The 48th room of the dungeon contained an imp called Repluggucht, a pesky and common wanderer of dim and dark places. There was nothing innately special about this creature other than its power of passage, which it used to sneak into places others could not, but it oddly enjoyed engulfing coins. The latter trait was the reason the construction of the labyrinth vault completely revolved around this insignificant being. I imbued the imp with the reset spell, 
and, upon severing a part of its body immediately after its death, could transfer the requisite occurrence of the spell to that small part, forcing the creature to restore its full body along with the coin in its stomach. Then, for its safekeeping, I would house the regenerating entity inside me, where it would be both imprisoned and secret until I decided to harvest it. Once this process had begun, I could not change the coin to be replicated. With that in mind, I had chosen to manufacture one of the most valuable and sought-after coins of the land, the Black Coriath Tomb Coin. Day in and day out, I performed the ritual of this coin collecting, while concealing my dealings within my own endowment of the reset spell. Only the blood of my wounds and their stains left the evidence of my tasks beyond the walls of the 48th chamber, and only a handful of the Thalpspinaw, the secret society of the Three Kingdoms, knew of the operation. It was these elite political masters that sanctioned the creation of the labyrinth vault beneath the Grand Colosseum of Ashlebedia, and used its fruits to maintain supreme power. Thieves sometimes came to take what they could of the 47 rooms' currencies, and I let them. I let them waste their time. My only regret was that I could not use my accumulated wealth. There was not much use of my coins within the confines of a prison, even if it was one built by me. That concludes episode 116 of The Dark Verse. You can download and listen to all of the past episodes at thedarkverse.com on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and on any of the popular podcasting platforms. Make sure you check out the sponsor of this episode, Mailtopia. Their podcast is really cool and very similar to my own in uh, a style of writing and imagination. So go to their website at maeltopia.com. Check them out. Subscribe to them if it's something that you think you'll like. And I hope 2018 has been a great year for you, and I'll meet you in the new one. All stories on the Dark Verse are the sole property of Sharkchild and cannot be used for distribution, publication, or monetary gain without his written consent. Sleep deeply and remember to love.